It is Friday afternoon. You know what time it is. It's time for the Fight HQ podcast. Of course, that is the fighter Pete Rogers Jr. I am Jason Foyz. We're here to break down UFC Vegas 86 goes down tomorrow inside the UFC Apex there in Las Vegas, Nevada. Lock time, 4 p.m. Eastern time, which I'm pretty sure it's locked. I'm pretty sure it's the right time I saw there. Of course, uh, we've got uh, 14 fights to break down over the next hour or so. Of course, uh, if you have any questions, comments for the show, you can leave those right there in the YouTube chat. Also, you can join our Discord channel. Totally free. Join. Great conversation. I know we already got some questions that have been live. Lined up inside that chat, so a great way to get your question on these fights. As uh, well, we're, we're doing some fights, and uh, yeah, Pete. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned this on my podcast last night. It's actually I'm kind of surprised that we didn't get more of a a name value card here uh, on Saturday, just because of with the Super Bowl being in Las Vegas, this event being in Las Vegas. I would have thought we we would have got a little bit more name value. Yeah, I mean, I kind of thought so as well. I mean, it's it's difficult to have crazy name value across tons of fight cards because of the amount of apex shows we're having right um it is kind of what it is and it's a week-to-week you know debate and it's like you know we're happy to have fights but at the same time it's it's lower level with uh guys not with the best strength of schedule or people getting opportunities that five ten years ago would have never graced the octagon but uh it is what it is and i'm thankful to have some type of fights because uh Outside the UFC, I mean, nobody else is doing it. Nobody else is doing it like they are, and I, I am grateful. Yeah, as we mentioned about last week, uh, we're in this run of 11 straight weeks of UFC events. The next UFC event that we will not have a week will be April the 20th. Of course, uh, we're here every week when there is a UFC event to break down the car, primarily from a daily fantasy sports perspective, but also break it down from a sports betting perspective as well. Of course, we've got our DraftKings contest is up right here in the show notes. You can click on that contest, get in that contest, and uh, congratulations to our winner last week, who, by the way, had three losing fighters. That means we all suck. We all suck. And he, and he was he he sucked less. He, <laughs> he had four, three losing he had fighters. Four, 477 points. He had the right three winning fighters, first off, with uh, <laughs> Simba Grimbo, Charles Radke, and Molly McCann, uh, all of them getting 119, 122, 129. And then he had Maxim, Dober, and Dolidze, all losers there. And if you're in our Discord, I've learned something over the past couple of days. I don't think Pete likes the yearly standings. No, I don't like these early standings at all. It's trash. Uh, you know, no, it, it's, it's great to see how everybody's doing in the, in the, you know, week to week contest. And it is fun because you got tons of MMA minds within the same community. Um, I would like to think that we are, it's a sharp field in there. It really is, which is why like, I'm not having the best turnout week to week. Some weeks I do fine. And in other weeks, I'm kind of middle of the pack. Um, but yeah, if you guys haven't joined the discord, please do it. You know, talk, talk within the discord. It's free to join. You can, you know, get into the community contest, which is great. Um, yeah, and and it's money to be made too. Like you, you could just be sharper than the thirty people that are entering the contest, which has grown now. Jason, I mean, like that's pretty cool. I remember when we were doing it was like ten people, twelve people. Now it's like close to thirty people every week. So uh, you know, kudos to you for starting that contest, and uh, thankful to keep it going. 
mention about our community we have over fire hq how about we gotta we gotta give some kudos to coach over there taking down first and third place in the big gpp last week uh splitting first place there with give me that uh 1993 taking down over sixty two thousand dollars. and uh coach uh i don't know if you you follow him on twitter or not he threw his uh his 1099 yeah. out of DraftKings. so uh, he, he had a very good 2023 yeah. well damn coach uh yeah and and coach has been a longtime supporter and you know Greatly appreciate you tuning in each and every week. Um, he's a GPP monster, that guy. He really is. I know he goes to the live finals all the time for various sports. And, you know, that's kind of like, you know, that's why we do this. And that's why we're, we're all, what we're all hoping to get to that point. And then we also had another listener, uh, that somebody who messaged me on Instagram, Alex Anderson, had the same exact lineup taken down the tournament, splitting uh, with Coach as well. So Fight HQ dominated. And if you guys haven't yet and you want to throw up that Fight HQ logo, please do. Please do. Let everybody know it. Or maybe don't and keep it a nice secret between <laughs> us all. But, uh, you know, Coach and Alex both took down 62000 So, uh, you know, I, I, I liked getting the message from Alex and, you know, obviously seeing how Coach did. And uh, it's, it's why we do it, right? Like, it's how Jason and I are hoping it's one of us one of these days. And then each and every member within the community, like, that's the goal. Get that check mark next to you guys. So, um, but hell yeah, good, nice lineups. Yeah, that, that was awesome. Unfortunately, some of my core plays just did not uh, work yeah. out for me last week. Of course, if you want to show your support for the channel, of course, uh, hit that subscribe button right here on YouTube. Hit that thumbs up on the video. It really does help us out. And if you can leave a comment uh, after the fact, that truly does help out the algorithm. And if you want to show some more support for us, uh, Stochastic and all their tools they have, they've got some offers for our listeners as well. You can check out that there in the show notes as well. But Pete, as we talk about game theory coming up here for this week, and you know, I was you know putting together my spreadsheet this morning and and there was a couple of fights that kind of really stuck out to me and there's two fights on the main card i mean obviously i know everyone's going to be looking at the main event joe piper will going get joe here in a little bit but to me i think the two fights that really stick out to me on the main card are the Vieira Petrosian and Johnson Flowers fight. I think both of these are fights are going to be two fights that i prioritize when i'm making my groups tomorrow yeah, you're a smart man, and I completely agree with you. I think that they're volatile matchups, matchups we have to be on the right side of, optimal matchups. Um, you know, could could the Vieira and Petrosian fight produce 80-something points? Sure, but if no other underdogs come through, that's where an 80-point uh, Rodolfo Vieira or 80-point uh, Armin Petrosian comes through just as a slight underdog in a matchup like that to, to help you take down the GPP. So. Uh, I'm right there with you. On a week where I'm not in love with a ton of underdogs, uh, it, you know, it's slim pickings. I'm going to uh, take a calculated shot at a few and then uh, mix and match with some others. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for some of these uh, these top-end options. Like Carlos Pratas is, like, a guy I'm super high on, as you know, as I told you last week. And uh, I'm excited to see him unfold. And poor Trevin Giles, man. You, ever, you look at who he's been fighting within the UFC. His, his management has not done him any favors. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll tell you one of the things when I was looking at the betting odds, I was like, man, do I want to get behind a uh, two and a half to one favorite in, in Devin Clark taking on Marcin Pracnow? Um, you know, and and talking, you know, the two fights I mentioned, the, the Johnson Flowers and Vieira Petrosian fight, they're both salary savers. And whether you're playing on DraftKings or if you're playing on FanDuel, you got some salary savings there. And uh, Johnson Flowers is, I kind of look at some of the things I've color coded already on my spreadsheet. Uh, you're looking at the ownership of that one, that kind of sticks out to me. Uh, even though, man, Zach. Pog 
Doug is a guy that I hate to trust. That the ownership on that one is something that I'm looking at there uh, as well. And uh, appreciate the uh, super chat there from uh, Like Liker. Uh, pre- really appreciate that man. He says uh, he goes uh, go get some lunch on me, fellas. It was the best way I could say thanks for helping me win that tournament. I couldn't have done got first without you guys. Congratulations, man. That's that's awesome, and, and truly do appreciate uh, that super chat over there as well as. Uh, so hopefully, I, I need to take down a tournament this week. I'm just saying, I've spent a lot of money the last a couple you. weeks. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, I feel real, real confident. And, you know, I'm not a cocky guy. I, I think I might be taking down this whole fucking thing. I really do. I, I, I think I might be. And probably because I'm running on low sleep. So take that for what it's worth. And working late all week, I don't know. I do feel sharp, though, because I've been at work just constantly thinking about this card. Hopefully not overthinking it, but I'm ready to rock and roll. Dude, I'll tell you what. I got back in the gym this week. I'll tell you, my I saw energy, that. Good job, dude. My energy level is insane right now. Good. No, no, I'm not having really? that afternoon crash like I was having, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, even though I slept in a little, I, I didn't get to the gym when I wanted to this morning. Got there a little <laughs> bit later. The the only thing is, like, I the gym I go to, like, you, you got it. There's sweet spots. You go between like five and six thirty, packed as shit. Yeah. Go go after seven o'clock at night, packed as shit. Yeah. Rest of the day, not too bad. Yeah, you you know, and and happy to see you get back on, back on the horse and, and start attacking that stuff again. So uh, hell yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's just it's uh, got got some motivation going on right now. Let's just say that got, got some motivation going on right now. But uh, let's get right into these fights. Of course, the main event it is classic UFC matchmaking here. We've seen this type of matchup for a long time. It is the vet, the guy that's been around, top of the division going through a little bit of a slide, and now we're going to put him up against the up-and-coming prospect, the guys rising, the guy that wants a big payday, and the UFC saying, okay, you want that big payday? Well, you're going to have to fight the elite of this division. Of course, we got Jack Hermanson taking on Joe Piper. Joe Piper, a minus 260 betting fair, plus 210 for Jack Hermanson. Hermanson, 7200 on DK, $13 on FanDuel, which that salary really stuck out to me when I saw that on FanDuel. Uh, Joe Piper, 9000 on DK, $23 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, so I like Joe Pfeiffer, right? Like I, I do like Joe Pfeiffer. Um, this is a a step of a competition, and this is a this is a nice test to see if you're legitimate or not. So this is a fraud test. Um, do I think it's too, a, too big of a step of a competition? Yes and no. I mean, Jack Hermanson has fought a crazy, crazy resume of UFC top level competition, whereas Joe Pfeiffer hasn't. Um, in addition to that, like you, you take the five round experience that Jack Hermanson has, uh, within his toolbox, um, his dangerous submission skills, his volume based striking style to like stay on the outside. But I got to tell you from like a trustworthy standpoint, I, I'm, I'm not too confident in Jack Hermanson from like a, uh, an optics situation. I, I kind of think he's going to be gun shy against the the heavy hitter in Joe Pfeiffer. I mean, I, I'm not convinced that Jack Hermanson is going to be the better wrestler in this situation. Joe Pfeiffer has been competing in grappling competitions in addition to his MMA fight. So, you know, I like the activity. I started to do the same thing within my own game, um, and it's helped me a lot. Uh, Jack Hermanson's takedowns, Sometimes aren't of, he's not efficient with his takedowns. We saw him go 0 of 6 against Curtis, 0 of 8 against Sean Strickland, 2 of 7 against Marvin Vittori. But listen to those three fighters I just mentioned. Like that's all top tier competition. Um, but it's almost like 
his fight IQ, and the optics, I think, could work against him here. I give Joe Pfeiffer three legitimate rounds um, to get this done. And then clearly it starts tilting in the Jack Hermanson favor and possibly it's two and a half, which is why, you know, I don't hate the underdog shot in Jack Hermanson at all. I mean, look what he's done against some of the best fighters. Joe Pfeiffer is only 3-0 in the UFC. Um, you know, Alan Amadovsky, Gerald Mearshart, and Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. The thing that I'm getting behind is the gym. I'm really getting behind in the gym down in Philly. Uh, Marquez BJJ, they, you know, they used to, it was like Hensel Gracie, you know, Philly, and then now it's Marquez BJJ for most of the guys, and it's just a really tough room. You look at the, that room and who's competing in it day in and day out, and you guys know that I love backing fighters that are actually training in MMA gloves. It sounds like the craziest statement ever, but I'm actually, you're actually starting to see, you know, a lot of camps introduce that into into what they're doing is the the puffy MMA gloves with the with the headgear and basically making it a real fight every single session mm-hmm. and uh, with all that being said I think Joe Piper hits too damn hard do I love his volume no I don't love his volume I, I think that you know you could look and see and critique his his performances from time to time and say you know it looks like he's somewhat of a gasser and I could I could see that um but I really do think that the power he possesses, the offensive wrestling, and just the uh, the momentum within his career. I- I'm going to be picking Joe Pfeiffer here at 9,000. I don't hate the underdog shot at Jack, uh, Jack Hermanson. Um, I'm probably going to be lighter on the ownership than, than what I'm seeing for Joe Pfeiffer. Um, but I do think that he's a solid option. It's just I think his volume could actually come to bite him here as far as breaking into the optimal lineup because there are some other 9,000 options that I think are a little bit more likely to end within one or two rounds with higher volume. So, uh, yeah, it's Joe Pfeiffer for me. Um, What about you? So you bring up a lot of great points. I mean, one of my things about Joe Pfeiffer is, okay, it's even though Jack Hermanson's on a little bit of a slide, we're talking about he's fighting the elite of this division. He's fighting the top five, top eight type guys in this division. My, my concern is, is this a too big of a step up in competition for Joe Piper? I will say this. Do I have concerns about Jack Romanson being able to take the shot from Joe Piper? Yes. I also do wonder, and we just don't know, what does a round three, round four, round five Joe Pfeiffer look like? That's kind of where I have a little bit of a concern is if Jack Hermanson can stretch us into the third, fourth, and fifth round, is that ultimately his path? And and. Also, I, I like the point that you brought up about, you know, you don't really love the volume of Joe Piper. And as I think about GPP contest, depending on the type of contest you're entering, I mean, let, let's just say you're entering in that top, you know, the $18 GPP contest. And if you're not putting a ton of entries in it, like I would really just reduce my ownership on Joe Pfeiffer as a way to get different because what we're seeing right now in ownership, I, I it's a massive number. And that, that was kind of one of my things of like, as you talk about game theory, one of my game theories is like, whether you're, let's just say you're a single entry or, or a five entry or maybe a 10 entry type player. Like I would go very underweight on Joe Pfeiffer and, and trying to get a little bit different. I'm with you. I, I'm with you. And the builds that I, that I have already, um, I, I like to do a portion of my builds just being hand built. Like, and I try to get as different as possible. And then I'll use the, the the crunching system to help me as well. Start to get the the final seventeen lineups or whatever. Um, 
I'm with you. I, I, I'm slightly underweight to the Joe Pfeiffer ownership. Do I think he scores great? Yeah. But anything in the 90s, in my opinion, could be a possible disappointment when you got some other high-priced options that could get well over 100-plus points. Um, so, yeah, I, I just need 600 points. And I think there's plenty of ways to get 600 points this week. I will say, looking at the betting side, I do like the uh, the plus 100 money line I'm seeing there on Joe Pfeiffer wins by KO, TKO. I think that's one. I mean, even seeing as much as plus 125, plus 130 uh, over there. And and that would be uh, my concern with Jack Hermanson is more about the chin aspect of whether maybe he's going to be able to take that shot uh, from Joe Pfeiffer. But this is, this, is a, this is a litmus test for Joe Pfeiffer. Is he... Yeah potentially a, a top 10 guy in this division. Next up, the co-main event is a featherweight matchup. Dan Ige taking on Andre Feely. Andre Feely is a plus 140 betting underdog, minus 170 for Dan Ige. Ige, 8600 on DK, $18 on FanDuel. And for Feely, 7600 on DK and $12 on FanDuel. Yeah, limited interest in this fight from a DFS aspect, to be honest. I, I think it's a hell of a matchup. I can't wait to watch it. Um, I can't wait to enjoy the fight because I like both Dan Ige and uh, Andre Feely. But like, I, I'm just not convinced that it's going to um, produce the best DFS score. If somebody knocks somebody out, then of course I'm wrong. Um, I just think that it's going to be a tit-for-tat, back-and-forth kickboxing match with somebody throwing slightly more volume and maybe a little bit more effectiveness, and that's probably going to be Dan Ige. Um, I really don't hate the Andre Feely underdog shot to win a decision. The finish only market, I think clearly favors Dan Ike, uh, where, whereas, um, Andre Feely is, you know, he's susceptible on the feet to getting rocked and, and dropped and finished. But I, I, I'm kind of hoping and rooting for him because I, I like him a lot. Like I, I like, I like what he's done within his career. We've watched him from the beginning to now. Um, I want to see his success. Not saying I, I have anything against uh, Dan Ige. It's just like I, I'm more of an Andre Feely guy. So um, if I was doing 150 max, of course I'm going to get to a co-main event underdog who could possibly win a decision. But do I view this fight as the winner wins more than 80-plus points? Not necessarily. Not necessarily at all. So um, I'm going to be still picking Dan Ige to win a competitive fight. Um, but it's kind of hard for me to see like – Dan Ige, you know, going three rounds, you know, Dan Ige's won rounds against some great, great competition. He's won rounds against Calvin Cater, uh, Josh Emmett, Nate Landwehr, Bryce Mitchell even. So it's like um, when I look at Andre Feely, sometimes in a competitive fight, he allows his opponents to just edge him out a little bit and uh, – that's why I'm siding with, with Dan Ige here. Uh, he kind of has the little more thud behind the shots. And at 8,600, I would pivot away from both. But if anybody, I'm going to be getting more exposure to Andre Feely. I'll give you my first sprinkle of the day in terms of betting. What is it? Dan Ige wins by TKO KO, which uh, you can get anywhere from plus 250 all the way to 3-1. to one. I, I mean, I'm not hating on your pick. I feel like a lot of people are on that, and it's like – I'm just not seeing that. I'm just not seeing that. I mean, 
look, I think the 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 odds are likely it does go to decision, but from yeah. a from a betting perspective of, of maybe looking to throw a little sprinkle on, on something that's got some plus nice plus money on it, that's one that sticks out there to me. Um, you know, look in terms of GPPs, I'm I'm kind of like you. I'm I'm not really in love with this fight in terms of GPP just because of you know looking at what is that upside. You know, I mean, obviously, uh, I I think if there's a stoppage in this fight, the stoppage is from Danny Gay. But I think if we're talking about a 15 minute fight that might primarily just play out on the feet, that's why on prize picks, like it's not something that I I'm in love with this week. But the significant strike total for Danny Gay is 65 and a half. If I was going to play it, I would go more than 65 and a half than going less than. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. That's kind of how I'm, you know, forecasting the fight to go. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those ones where, you know, I mean, obviously you're not getting a ton of ownership on, on either side of it, and I think that's very understandable. But, uh, you know, to me, I think the most likely scenario that is going to go to decision, I do like Dan Ige to get decision win here. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll see what happens there. Next up, we got a matchup. We got Eeyore Pretoria taking on Robert Brychek. Brychek is a minus 160 betting fair, plus 135 for Pretoria. Pretoria is 7400 on DK, $14 on Fandle. And for Brychek, he is 8800 on DK and $17 on Fandle. One note I'll mention here about Brychek, when I was looking at his resume, you know the thing that stuck out to me the most? We're talking about a fighter from Poland who never fought in KSW. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, international uh, talent tends to, uh, you know, make waves within their area and then across their big promotions internationally, that's when you start seeing it. But, uh, you know, this guy Brychek, I'm just not sure that he is a prospect by any means. He obviously is an, you know, an aged prospect getting an opportunity here against Ihor uh, Poterio, who is a guy for, for the most part, we've faded him at times because of his volatility, but he's also surprised us at times, right? Like on the contender series, you know, I'm pretty sure I even bet against him there because if you look at his strength of schedule, it's a deeply padded record and it's against soft competition at the end of the day, right? Like if you're going out there and you're dispatching your opponents the way you should be dispatching them, I tend to value that a little bit more than the strength of schedule. Sometimes it's great to be battle tested, but sometimes, you know, your best fights are left outside the UFC for little pay. Um, And it's, it's a boxing type of mindset of building people to get them confidence and get them experience. But I think there needs to be a balance. It can't just be one way or the other or else you're never going to make it into the UFC. Um, you know, Ihor inside the UFC got starched against the Nikolai, um, picked up a nice victory over Shogun Hua, got dropped with a beautiful counter left hook against Carlos Olberg, um, and then surprised against Rodolfo Bellato where he was putting it on him, man. Like even refer- several referees would have stopped that fight. It got really, really ugly for Rodolfo Bellato, and Bellato was on his back just eating hammer fists for days. Um, ultimately, what happened was Bellato's ground game became too much. He took down Ihor Poteria and then started to literally just blast him with volume punches en route to a finish. It was some of the wild, the wildest two rounds you'll ever see. Now we have Ihor taking a fight on short notice against an unproven Polish prospect, supposedly prospect, in Brychek here, um, down a weight class too, down at middleweight, which is completely opposite of what Ihor did within his entire UFC tenure, uh, light heavyweights for all four of his fights. 
Ehor is a guy that I've kind of did a little bit of a deep dive on. He has cross-trained with Sean Strickland, which is great to see, sparring a lot over there, uh, doing a ton of PI work, a ton of PI work in, in the lead-up to this fight. So that's why he took this fight because he's in he's in good shape. And the PI is probably the, the, the place that recommended he would have success by dropping down a weight class. He's just way too small for light heavyweight. I didn't see how he looked on the scale, Jason, as I just woke up not too long ago from working third shift. But I am actually going to be siding with Ehor Poteria here. I think that as a southpaw, he can catch the chin of Brychek, uh, who is pretty elementary with his striking, has power, muscle-bound guy. I think that Poteria can you know, find the mark somehow, or if he doesn't get him out of there, I think that his cardio is is, is better than Brychek, who hasn't really been tested outside of a couple minutes in his past several fights. So, like, I, I'm going to be siding with Ihor Poteria here, 7,400. I feel like it's a gonna, going to be a very popular underdog. And if you're on the opposite side of it, you might be looking at one of a one of the best leverage plays, lost in the shuffle within the AK range in Brychek. But uh, I'm going to be picking Ihor Poteria here at 7,400 to hopefully be one of the few underdogs to come through for us on this ugly underdog card. I would say it's it's one of those things with with Ehor. I it's tough for me to trust them, but to go on with your point there, what what the PI does is they they do all these tests on fighters and and yep. they tell them certain things about their bodies. And I, I remember this was years ago, the first time Eric Anders went there and, and got tested, and and Eric always had that mindset of you got to train three three times a day, you know, coming from that football mentality, and then. The PI says, hey, you're actually hurting your body by doing that. And they say, you only need to do two times a day. And then also they do tell you kind of like, you know, if you're contemplating going down a weight class, they they give you that that sense of can you make that weight or not. Uh, you know, to me, it's one of these things with a guy coming into the UFC. He's, you know, he's had some, had a canceled matchup. I almost I want to see him do it first before I'm willing to pay yeah. that price tag. So to me, I think that it's it's kind of that situation of, of take the underdog or pass on the fight um, and just kind of see the way that things develop there. Uh, next I'm up, with, we go ahead. Yeah, I'm with, I'm with you, man. Like, you know, what I said last week about being very selective with getting behind which debuting fighters we're going to back in their UFC debut, especially at a large number. You saw what happened with Jamal Pogues against Thomas Peterson, and Thomas Peterson, unproven prospect coming in there. Um, I leaned into the ugly, volatile side of Pogues, and it worked out. So we just got to pick our shots, and I think this is where we have to pick uh, Ihor Pateria to, to uh, pull it off for us. I was getting so frustrated watching that fight last week. Oh, yeah, bro. I, I, could, I, I was sitting there, and the coaches are telling him, don't let your, your feet get behind that black line. And I was just, I was, oh, God, it was so frustrating to watch. Between that and Mark Smith in the co-main event, as literally Moncano's got the fight to the ground with for like 15 seconds, you got to work, you got to work. I'm like, no, it is not the referee's job to get you off your back. I agree. I, I'm These sorry. I, I, I'm, I was I was sitting on the couch watching that fight. I was just, I was getting angry. Like, yes, obviously I had backed Moncano a lot, but I'm sitting there going, it's not the referee's job to bail Drew Dober out uh, being caught in a dominating position. Like that's that's become like one of my pet peeves of referees. Yeah, because they're trying to become company guys, and they like they want to be they want to be viewed as the the ref that's going to 
you know, be a part of exciting matchups. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, this ref stood them up when when they were doing nothing because the casuals don't like the ground game. The hardcores, we do. You know what I mean? Like, we do. We appreciate it. And this comes from a striker. Like, look, I, I there's certain types of ground games I like, certain types of mm-hmm. ground games I don't like. You know, like, you, you think of it back in the day, Jared Rochal, he was just a wet blanket. Like yeah, that. No, exactly. If I, if I see someone who's trying to advance positions, and, and I thought Drew Dober was doing a very good job of being defensive, but I'm just like, like no, no ref, it's not your job to bail Drew Dober out. It's just imagine it's, think, I'm with you. Imagine thinking like Charles Oliveira's ground game's boring. <laughs> like imagine thinking like that. Like you ever watch him roll and watch his submission reel? It's like it's a, it's un, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable, and uh, you know. It's like the ref. I agree with you though. Like there's certain certain moments, but not in advantageous positions. And let's be honest about it. If the if Imvolf and Delidze is not the main event, I think that fight's finished and is stopped in the first round. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I was. I mean, Delidze is one tough son of a bitch. <laughs> there is no doubt about it, man. That dude, that dude can take a pounding and keep on coming. Let's uh, move over to our next matchup, a uh, middleweight matchup here. It's really middleweight division, kind of is a division the UFC is really focusing on here over the past couple of weeks. We got Brad Tavares taking on Gregory Rodriguez. Gregory Rodriguez is a minus two fifty betting favorite. Brad Tavares plus two hundred five. Rodriguez ninety one hundred DK twenty dollars on Fanduel, and for Tavares seventy one hundred DK and eleven dollars on Fanduel. Pete. I was trying to talk myself into a uh, a Brad Tavares underdog call, and I just can't do it. Uh, I, I can't do it in 2024. But I also I feel like the public needs to pump their brakes a little bit on the expectations for Gregory Rodriguez. Gregory Rodriguez is very good. His jujitsu is second to none. His kickboxing in general is just very like he, he's very talented in all areas. Very well rounded. Um, he's very patient though. And in interviews, he's talked about his patience and not having to rush things. And rushing things in the past has led to uh, negative results. I, I totally agree. For as patient as he is, the guy's been on a complete spree of just like getting finishes. First round victory over Dennis Tallulah. Second round uh, victory over uh, Chidi Njikwani. First round over Julian Marquez. Jung Young Park, second round TKO. And his debut fight was a 15-minute decision over Dusko Todorovic. So... As patient as he is, he's still finding the mark and finding the finish. And 119, 141, 108, and 98 are his fantasy point totals. So if you're a box score watching, as I'm sure many people are, they're going to be rostering Gregory Rodriguez a lot. I just worry about Brad Tavares sucking Gregory Rodriguez into a typical Brad Tavares fight. One that tends to go long. One that is a back-and-forth fight. One where they both have slight moments of hurting each other and they both have question marks about their chin, durability concerns. Who's the better fighter in 2024? It's Gregory Rodriguez, in my opinion. Um, Gregory Rodriguez, if he gets Brad Tavares to the mat, can TKO him, uh, could possibly submit him. But the issue is Brad Tavares, for the most part, has phenomenal takedown defense. I just think it's going to be a battle-tested decision. Truthfully, or or if there is a finish, it comes late, not early. So I'm okay with pivoting away from both of these guys. Do I like Gregory to win the fight? Yes, I do. Um, I, I just think like, you know, Brad's fought a ton of competition and also comes from a very strong gym. I think he'll be competitive early, and then we'll see Gregory Rodriguez start to uh, 
you know, edge him out over 15 minutes, which might be a hot take. Everybody's expecting Gregory to, to knock out Brad Tavares. I'm just not a part of that population. Um, I'm I, The reason I can't get behind Brad Tavares is I completely thought that he would finish Chris Weidman. For a guy that has been known to just go the distance, it seemed like the, all the stars aligned for him to get a victory and finish Chris Weidman in that situation by continuing to chop at those legs and uh, especially when Weidman was a sitting duck, it was almost like Brad Tavares is just too good of a dude and didn't want to do it. But uh, the killer instinct is just non-existent. So uh, I'm going to be picking Gregory Rodriguez to win a 15-minute decision or a late stoppage. Uh, 9100 is a fine price tag, but I laid out the concerns of why I'm not going to back him as heavily as some other people. Uh, but he should win the fight. One of my favorite plays on prize picks this week is actually the over 12 and a half fight time minutes on Gray Rodriguez, yep. just because I think that it's a high probability that he is going to, uh, this fight's going to go the distance. And by the way, Woody uh, just uh, put it in the chat that uh, Eero Pretoria missed weight and looks horrible. So oh, I'll have great. to go back and, uh, and watch that uh, after we get done with the show here. But like, to me, I just I think this thing goes 15 minutes. I mean, we have seen Brad Tavares get knocked out recently in, in some in some of his losses, but I think this thing likely goes 15 minutes. Um, and uh, you know, look and, and just looking at ownership projections on Gregory Rodriguez, I'd be looking to get to some of the other 9K options, then get to him here. Um, but uh, obviously, you kind of want to monitor. Maybe maybe if those ownership projections go down a little bit on Gregory Rodriguez, maybe you want to get there. But I would say over on Prize Picks, uh, this is actually the first uh, fight that we've talked about that I, I do like a prop over Prize Picks, and that's a uh, 12 and a half fight time minutes go the under there. And uh, by the way, if you're playing on Prize Picks, they got a basically essentially a free square there on Patrick Mahomes. If you want to uh, line up some cards there, and also, uh, hey Pete, you can play Power Slap tonight. No thanks. No thanks. We're actually showing it at the bar. Oh my god, Jason. They're giving they're wow. giving it they're giving it to commercial um establishments for free. It's a part of your direct TV package. Oh my god. Jason. By the way, Woody says Ehor weighed in at one eighty seven and a half. So uh Got two pound pounds over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll have to go back and look at it. But I thank you, Woody, for putting that in the chat. Um You know that changes things, right? It does change things, but does it – if he killed himself to make the weight, that changes a lot of things. If he just said, screw it, and I'm pulling the plug on this attempt, I took the fight on short notice. The The company should be happy regardless. They know that I'm going to try to make the weight. You know, It could just be a strategic, I don't want to kill myself type of thing. This is possibly also a failed experiment. Down to 185 pounds. I mean, the gap from 205 to 185 is massive. So um, I'm not going to fault him. Did I think it was intelligent to take a, sh- a fight on short notice down a weight class, especially when there's a 20-pound gap? No, I didn't. But like from a skill standpoint, if we take the weight miss aside, that's why I'm picking Ehor Pateria. If, if I'm not getting behind Ehor Pateria, I might have to introduce some weird and wild things for my lineups this weekend. Yeah, uh, MMA Mania has got a short little video up there, and, and you just look at Pretoria's face. He knew he knew he wasn't on weight. Really? Yeah, just a blank, blank that blank stare. We, we've all seen we've seen that stare. We, we've seen that blank stare from fighters. But yeah, it's uh, uh you're not going to go there. But uh, uh, but yeah, um, I, I will say this: I don't mind getting to Brad Tavares in cash games. If you're a cash games player, may not be someone I, I would not mind getting to. Next up, we got another matchup here. We got another OG of the UFC, a guy that. Uh, one of the most weirdest resumes in UFC history. 
and that's Michael Johnson. Yep. A guy who knocked out Dustin Poirier, but is essentially a 500 fighter uh, in the UFC as he takes on Darius Flowers, who, by the way, has is the only fighter to not weigh in at this time. Uh, Michael Johnson, a minus 140 betting favorite, plus 120 for Darius Flowers. Uh, Johnson, 8300 on DK, $16 on FanDuel. Flowers, 7900 DK, $15 on FanDuel. And Michael Johnson shared a story this week where he said he had, had to block Darius Flowers on mm-hmm. social media. I saw that. Um... Here comes my stand of the week, and do with it whichever you may, but I'm going to be backing Michael Johnson pretty heavily here. Uh, Granted, there are tons of concerns, right? The chin, is it even there? Can it hold up to anything? You know, I I do tend to say that I'm a biased Michael Johnson believer, but if you wanted to be a profitable MMA better, you probably should just be betting against him for the past 5-10 years. Um, he's won some fights against some top tier competition and he's, you know, made boneheaded decisions from time to time and lost also. But if you look at his resume, the one thing you can't say is that he avoided tough fights. This guy's fought everybody, old veterans, new guys, guys on the come up prospects. I mean, it's pretty scary when you go throughout his resume and, and, and do I think that on any given night he could give the champion of the world problems? Absolutely. But there is tons of volatility and beware because if it's gone too far, then a guy like Darius Flowers can clearly win this fight. Do I think Flowers is UFC level? No, I don't. I really don't. I don't see him as UFC level. Um, He took a short notice fight against Jake Matthews up at welterweight. Um, His hands look good when he throws them. I do think that he's just not well-rounded. Um, he attempted a takedown and oddly enough got it against Jake Matthews, but then was was submitted within two rounds. Here's my thing, right? About Darius Flowers is tons of boxing experience, very little success. Tons of striking experience. I think his ground game is super, super green. Like super, super green. And a little interesting nugget and a feeling I've had all week. I think everybody in the world has expected Michael Johnson to welcome a striking match. Okay, and hear me out. Usually Michael Johnson struggles against guys that have the ability to take him down. Anybody that tends to go to the takedown well over and over and over tends to break Michael Johnson over time. But early on within Michael Johnson's career, when we're talking a long time ago, okay, back in 2010 when he was competing on The Ultimate Fighter, he was the guy taking people down. He was the guy taking people to take down City. He's the guy that ragdolled Alex Caceres and numerous people on the Ultimate Fighter. I actually think from a coaching perspective, if I had a fighter like Michael Johnson who has so many durability concerns, I would say, listen, Mike, I don't want to see you keep getting hurt over and over again. What I need you to do is I need you to invest in the wrestling game here. Greg Jones, one of the best wrestling mentors in the game, a part of Killcliffe FC, I really think sat him down and talked to him. Now, I could be wrong, and he could just go out there and kickbox Darius Flowers and knock him out or get knocked out. But I almost feel like he has an ace up his his sleeve, and he's going to lace up those wrestling shoes against Darius Flowers. And also, in addition to that, the reason I'm thinking so is I see he's been working with Patchy Mix secretly 
working with Patchy Mix a lot, who's a very good friend of Michael Johnson. Why the hell would you be working with Patchy Mix if you are not working on your ground game? I don't care that he's a 135-pounder. Patchy Mix is huge. He could compete, compete at 145 or 155. I'm telling you, it's just a feeling, but I cannot get behind Darius Flowers. If I lose my money because of it, I lose my money because of it. But in 2024, I'm still picking the skill set, and Michael Johnson has the well-rounded skill set to win this fight however he wants. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned about that boxing resume of Darius Flowers. Uh, yeah, not much success. Right. One win, 12 fights. There's a lot of people in MMA that do that. Yeah. And, I mean, like, they get finished. Yeah. It, it, out of those 10 losses, seven of them were, were uh, TKO slash KO. Yeah. there. This is one of those ones. I, I do like Michael Johnson this one. Um, you know, I, I primarily think that, and I like what you're saying there based on who he's working with, but um, I think Michael Johnson's going to get a knockout here. That That's just my, my thought. We'll see what happens with Darius Flowers in terms of the scale. By the way, uh, Samuel, appreciate your super yeah. chat as well. As always, appreciate those super chats that do come in. Next up, we got our opening matchup of the main card. we got Rodolfo Vieira taking on Arnold Petrosian. Uh, Rodolfo is a minus 120 betting favorite, plus 100 for Petrosian, A200. For Vieira, sixteen dollars on Fanduel and Petrosian's eight thousand and fifteen on Fanduel. Pete. Yeah, so this classic grappler versus striker matchup. I mean, what what are you going to lean into? Uh, Adolfo Vieira, whose striking is subpar, uh, or Armin Petrosian's, whose takedown defense is below subpar. Um, you know, but I will say that Armin Petrosian does a good job at working back to his feet. The issue is if he turns and gives his back to Adolfo Vieira, that could be all she wrote. Just one time. That's all you need to do is give your back to Hudolfo Vieira once, and it's over. We did see Armour Petrosian give up his back in several of his UFC fights, Gregory Rodriguez, Kyle Bajalio. But when I see Gregory Rodriguez have the back on Andre, uh, uh, on Armin Petrosian and Kyle Bajalio have the same exact position, and they're unable to finish Petrosian from there, it makes me give – it gives me a little confidence. A little confidence that maybe Hadolfo just can't. Even though I do think that there are levels for BJJ, Gregory Rodriguez and Kyle Bajalio are comparable to Hadolfo Vieira. Um, the back takes that Hadolfo has are fantastic, but at one point he was viewed as a gasser. In addition to that, I have worries and concerns about his uh, his durability. I mean, when, when you get dropped and outstruck by Cody Brundage early um, and just your inefficient takedown attempts as well. 1 of 7 against Cody Brundage, 0 of 20 against Chris Curtis, which is ballooning that that terrible output accuracy. Uh, 4 of 10 against Anthony Hernandez. If you can sprawl and brawl or make him work, you can break him. Um, Petrosian does well at throwing knees up the middle, uh, getting the tie plum. If he gets taken down, I just hope he doesn't get his back taken. Uh, from the outside, Petrosian should pick Adolfo Vieira apart. You can't really go wrong in this matchup when it comes to building your lineups, but I'm going to actually side with the striker here. Um, training out of American top team, split camp as he's been doing within his whole entire UFC career. I just think the preparation is going to be there for him in similar matchups against guys that are much more well-rounded than Rodolfo Vieira, but you know comparable jiu-jitsu. I think that Armin might actually pick up his first TKO win, to be honest, um, inside the UFC. He's been a decision machine. Four fights that gone distance. Hodolfo, we, we've seen him break. That was mainly against Anthony Hernandez. But uh, in the Cody Brundage fight, it was looking awfully similar there. So uh, I'll be going with Petrosian to uh, 
hopefully work his way back up and punish Adolfo en route to either a late stoppage or a or dominant decision win. Yeah, I mean, what concerns you is just what you outlined. The fact of does Rodolfo get the fight to the ground. Uh, I do like the under two and a half takedowns prop on price picks for Rodolfo Vieira. And my general thought process on that is if he gets it down once, I don't think he gets it back up. That's just my general thought. And like you, if he gets it back. But I do like it to me, like it's it's a classic of my matchup. Striker versus grappler. If you tell me this thing plays out on the feet, yeah, I love Arm Petrosian. I, I think, yeah, he'll pick him apart. But it's just, can he, you know, we, we've seen issues with being able to stop the takedowns. And I mean, Pete, how many times have we talked about on this show about, you know, jujitsu guys are not exactly, you know, the greatest takedown artists. But once they get you down there, you're yeah. in their world. And, uh, but you do, you do kind of wonder if Petrosian can keep this fight on the feet. And, you know, maybe, maybe if you're looking for a sprinkle, maybe you look at either Petrosian wins by decision or Petrosian wins. Uh, via TKOK in, in round three. I agree with you. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, uh, you know, jujitsu skill sets are not all the same. And Kyle Bahalio, more of a control oriented guy, whereas Hadolfo Vieira is an opportunistic grappler and, uh, you know, very good at finding the finish. So I don't disagree to uh, Mr. Grapefruit in the chat. Um, but I actually do think that Gregory Rodriguez is just as dangerous as Hadolfo Vieira. Just as dangerous, if not more. So, um, yeah, I'll be siding with Petrosian here to pick up the victory. Next up, we got Trevor Giles taking on Carlos Prates. Prates minus two sixty betting fair plus two ten for Giles. Giles seven thousand on DK, nine dollars on Fanduel for Carlos. He's ninety two hundred on DK and twenty one dollars on Fanduel. Pete. Yeah, so uh, this is going to be a pretty simple breakdown. Trevin Giles has been given a very, very, very tough UFC career. I mean, Gabriel Bonfim. Uh, Michael Morales, Drikas Duplessis, Roman Delidze, Bavon Lewis at a time. Remember when Bavon Lewis was supposed to be? Uh, the Kosi brother, Lewis Kosi. Like, th- this guy's fought some top-tier competition, so I don't know if it's like trying to be the guy to spoil all these prospects or if it's just like mismanagement. Uh, what I'll tell you is Carlos Prates, he's coming off the Contender Series where Dana White con- uh, compared him to Anderson Silva-esque I actually don't disagree with it. Like his striking's gross. He's a big, big southpaw for the division. Absolutely massive for welterweight. Uh, he will switch stances and throw kicks and, and combinations from all directions. Throws a beautiful knee to the liver side. He's just so long and dangerous and tricky. And he comes out of the Fighting Nerds, which is a camp I'm extremely high on. Extremely high on. And I've been. And it's like, don't fade them. Don't fade them. That, ride these hot camps while you can. Trevin Giles could possibly, you know, spoil the debut if the nerves get the protest. But we're talking about a guy who's had a tremendous amount of success outside the UFC. In addition to having success, he's had crazy finish rates. Like, this guy is a killer. 9,200. I think one way or another, he hurts Trevin Giles en route to a finish, most likely via KO, TKO. Um, and, uh, yeah, 9,200. I'm going to be back in Carlos Protes. If, if you want to prove me prove me right type of strategy then back Trevin Giles uh, but I just can't do it here I'm going to be going with protest I think he's legit I will say this if you want to but well I was thinking about this earlier if I was going to get away from the ownership of Joe Pfeiffer I might just spend $200 up and go to Carlos that's what I'm doing that's what I'm doing I'm telling you right now 
Yeah, that, that it's just it's and, and that's just playing that ownership game when you talk about these big GPP contests. Next up, we got Oki taking on Timmy. Timmy is a plus one forty betting underdog. Oki minus one seventy. Oki ninety five hundred on DK. Nineteen dollars on Fanduel for Timmy. He's seventy five hundred on DK and eleven dollars on Fanduel. Pete. Yeah, we got uh, Timothy Kuamba against uh, against the uh, Balaji Oki, and uh, Balaji Oki was supposed to be going up against the. Uh, you know, a, a tough out, um, but like Demir Hadzovich is a guy who never really materialized. Uh, but the name Hadzovich, you know, we, we know who he is. We don't really know who Timothy Kwamba is, but Timothy Kwamba is stepping up on short notice. Guy coming off of uh, some regional success. We've seen him fight in the Contender Series. I think he's pretty good, actually. I do think that Timothy Kwamba is good. Do I like him in this matchup? No. Short notice. Go in there. Help the company out when the company needs you. Go in there and, and compete. If you don't get finished, I think the UFC is going to consider this a win. Like this guy stepped up on short notice and he made it a competitive striking match against Balagioki. We've seen Timothy Kawamba get hurt in the past. We've also seen him, uh, you know, resort to wrestling. But these guys, when they throw combinations, they dig to the body, which is something I love. You know, I love body work, and uh, Balagioki is excellent at doing so. I actually think that the price tag for Balagioki might be just a little overblown. I understand Timothy Kwamba's coming in on short notice, um, but I think Kwamba's pretty talented and probably better than Demir. Um, so it's like I, I think that we're going to see a late finish or a dominant decision for Balagioki, but it's going to be there's going to be some competitive moments. Ninety five hundred Balagioki. I don't hate the spend up at all. Um, if his opponent was bad, I, I think that he would be an absolute free square and a smash. I think from a he's from a win standpoint, he's still in a, a free square situation. But as far as DFS score, if it tends to go long, then then, then you might have some other fighters that kind of outproduce him around him. So uh, Balagioki is going to get this fight and he's going to win it. But I think that Timothy Kawamba could make things a little tricky and, and make Balaji really dig deep. Yeah, I was actually looking into Timmy a little earlier. These amount of fights are on YouTube if you want to yeah, check those out. Next, next up, we got a female matchup. Luma and Lukbumi taking on Bruno Brazil. Brazil plus 230, betting underdog minus 284 at Lukbumi. Lukbumi, 9400 on DK, $22 on FanDuel. And for Bruno, she's 6800 on DK and $8 on FanDuel, Pete. I really like Luma and Lukbumi. I really do. I think that she's very talented, comes from a very strong gym, Rounding out her game, incorporating takedowns. Do I think her fight IQ is great? No, I don't. I, I really don't. But it, the fact that she was able to win against Denise Gomes is impressive. Uh, four or five takedowns, seven minutes of control. We saw her, you know, get reversed against Elise Reed, who has a questionable ground game. Even though she landed two of three takedowns, she did find the submission in round two. So she's in a situation where she's got a really hefty price tag. And in women's MMA, sometimes we have fights that tend to be closer. And when you have a fighter like Bruno Brazil coming from a, a very talented gym and the fighting nerds, it's just going to pique my interest. That's all I'm saying. Like I think Loma Lukbumi could go out there and look absolutely dominant and given her price tag, she should. Um, but if you're a single entry type of player and you don't like how uh, – how Ihor Poteria looked, then maybe you just kind of punt and you just punt and hope that somebody 
in a loss scores well enough uh, and allows you the proper spend up to get four or five confident plays. Um, I don't think many people are going to be playing Bruno Brazil here at all. Like, at all. And um, I'll tell you something, Jason. In a 150 max, I think I'm going to be a little bit more aggressive on her just because she comes from a good gym. And we know she comes from a, a Brazilian team. If she lands on top in some type of situation, we saw Elise Reed look like she knew what she was doing against Loma Luke Bumi on top. And we know she doesn't know what she's doing. Um, Bruno Brazil could make it a little bit more interesting. But I do think that Loma just on the feet is just better. She's not so kick-oriented, whereas Bruno Brazil just kicks only, has no hands whatsoever. Loma will will dump her. She will throw hands into knees, into the tie plum. And Loma's the better fighter, 100%. But in a volatile division and in a week where we need an underdog, I'm just saying that Bruno Brazil probably will come in at single-digit ownership, and I'll probably get to like 10% just because. But it's Loma Luke booming to win a decision here. Yeah, I will tell you, uh, I was actually looking at that takedown prop for Lukbumi at two and a half over in prize picks. And, you know, we have seen her get three and four takedowns in, in matchups here. So that was kind of one that I was looking there in terms of, of a, from a DFS perspective. Uh, Luke Boomy is not someone I really want to get to at 9,400. rather get through some other options just because I like those options as a fantasy score upside. Next up, we have got Devin Clark taking on Marcin Pracnow. Devin Clark is a minus 245 betting pair, plus 200 for Pracnow. Pracnow, 7,300 on DK, $10 on Fandle. And for Devin Clark, He's a nine hundred DK and twenty dollars on Fanduel, Pete. Yeah, I mean, if you told me that Marcin Pracnio has a win over Khalil Roundtree, I think I'd probably bet against you. But you're right, you know. It's like how, and that just goes to show that like Khalil Roundtree has gone through phases where he's completely untrustworthy and then uh, gun shy at times, and then you know that now he's looking like an absolute machine. Marcin Pracnio, if you keep it on the feet, he can make anything competitive. He's been striking his entire life. His kicks are pretty tricky, um, especially for the division. Not known for leg dexterity. Light heavyweight division, he can pick up his legs in all sorts of ways. Uh, chops low kicks, stabs you to the body, the midsection. You saw what happened when he hit Ike Villanueva to the body with a liver kick. The issue is he's not well-rounded. And we cashed a big round three ticket Um when he fought Vitor Petrino, and Vitor Petrino came through and submitted him in the third round. Um, and up until that, like, he could have finished him in rounds one, two, or three. Um, you know, like, I think Vitor's submission skills are still improving. Um, I think Devin Clark's submission skills are basically non-existent. Um, defensively, he gets submitted as well. But the, the difference is, is that Devin Clark will actually push push a tremendous pace and if Marcin's able to get back to his feet, we could see Devin Clark take him down over and over and over again. And it really pains me and hurts me to back one of these guys. But for the for the show, I got to pick somebody, right? And like Devin Clark at 8,900 as a massive favorite, you're probably better off just fading him in most spots. But I don't think this is the spot to do so. I mean, you look at who he's fought and who he's gone pretty pretty long with inside the octagon. It, it makes me have a little bit more confidence. I mean, training at altitude, clear wrestling and grappling advantage here against Marcin Pracnio. Can hit really hard and test the durability and knock out Marcin Pracnio as well. But I think what's going to happen is he's going to get like five to eight plus takedowns here with a ton of uh, top control in route to a dominant decision over Marcin Pracnio. 
If this stays on the feet, Marcin can absolutely win and crack and knock out the frail Devin Clark from time to time. I just don't see it happening. So I can't believe I'm saying this, but uh, Devin Clark might be one of the guys slightly beneath 9,000 that I'll lean into a little bit more. You know you don't feel good about yourself saying that. I don't. I don't <laughs> at all. But, I mean, that's just the, the landscape of the slate this week. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I mean, and, and look at it over on prize picks, uh, two and a half takedowns for Devin Clark. So, here with Pete. Had to say oh, there, it make, makes me kind of think. Um, yeah, maybe going the over there in next one. Next up, we got Max Griffin digging on Jeremiah Wells. Max Griffin is a plus 135 betting underdog. Jeremiah Wells is minus 160. Uh, Griffin, 7700 on DK, $14 on Fandle. And for Wells, 8500 on DK and $17 on Fandle. I'll let Pete break it down, but I will let you know there is a prize picks prop I really do like on this fight. Okay, I, I like the fight, and I like the fight to go 15 minutes, truthfully. Um, I, I think Max Griffin's a very tough out, 7-8 and eight inside the UFC, 4-1 and one for Jeremiah Wells. We've seen what Jeremiah Wells can do offensively, so like he can hit really hard, he can knock you out. In addition to that, he can chain together crazy, crazy takedowns, big slams, picks you up over his head. Um, he did it to Matt Samuelsberger, 6-10 of 10 in the takedown department, 11 minutes of control time. Carlston Harris, 3-5 of five in the takedown department before leaving his uh, his neck out there and getting and getting choked uh, almost you know nine and a half minutes of control time. So you know Jeremiah Wells was on his way to to winning a decision in that fight. The issue is it's like I, I kind of view this as a similar fight, but Max Griffin doesn't have submission skills to possibly threaten him. The only thing is a big right hand or a big counter shot. I think it's going to be tough. I think Max will probably win one round or almost win one round, and it'll be a dominant decision win for Jeremiah Wells. Um, it's just a fight I'd rather I'd rather get away from because I feel like it's going to have a ton of ownership. You got Wells in the mid-range, tons of takedown potential, but I think people might be overlooking Max Griffin a little bit. I love the fact Wells is part of Marquez BJJ, formerly a part of Daniel, you know, you know uh, Henzo Gracie Philly, working with Daniel Gracie a lot, but that Marquez BJJ team is just phenomenal. And I've seen what Jeremiah Wells can do in the training room, the regional room, and also at the UFC level. So I'm still picking Jeremiah Wells to win a tough out decision. Uh, Don't hate the Max Griffin underdog to win a decision though, but I I do think it goes 15 minutes. Yeah, and that is the prop that I am all about over on this one, Price Picks. The over 11.5 fight time minutes on Jeremiah Wells is a, is a core play for me over there. And, uh, you know, if, if Max Griffin's price tag was a little bit lower, I think he'd be kind of one of those guys I'd be really be targeting in terms of, you know, kind of, you know, that, that where that floor potentially is with him. But, uh, but yeah, it's uh, the 11.5 fight time minutes is the one that really uh, sticks out to me. Next up, we got Zach Paul taking on Bogdan Gusoff. Gusoff is a plus 110 betting underdog, minus one. 34 Zach Paga Paga 8400 DK 16 on Fandle and then 7815 for Bogdan Pete. Yeah, I mean, like Zach Paga is a guy that I just don't think has ever turned out to what I've been hearing. Like I, you know, expected to win the Ultimate Fighter. Zach Paga, you know, you know, ran through the competition on the Ultimate Fighter, but the competition was mediocre. Um, you know, I think that he has good hands when he lets them go, tends to struggle with pulling the trigger. Um, we did see him get knocked out against Muhammad Usman. Uh, offensively, he can wrestle, but yet he's gone 0 of 6 against against Jordan Wright, 1 of 5 against Modestus Bukowskis. I don't know, man. I think he's there to be hit. I, I think he's very good. 
but I think he's lacking some things within the division. He's lacking power within a power-riddled division. Uh, and Bogdan Guskov, if anything, has that. And I, I do think that, you know, you saw what he could do in his debut. Um, it's he, He's dangerous. He's very dangerous despite his lack of... His lack of submission defense, getting submitted by Volkan's interesting. But I think this guy can crack. I really think this guy can crack. And I think in an exchange, he lands a big right hand and he knocks out Zach Palga. Um, and uh, at 7,800, it comes through as one of the few underdogs that I'm actually confidently backing. But like, Guskov did look a little bit like, I mean, to, to get submitted by Volkan Uzdemir, but also debuting against Volkan is is very difficult, but I'll be picking the underdog here in Bogdan Guskov. I think just Palga's there to be hit, and Guskov's going to hit him with something heavy. Yeah, Palga was the guy heading into the awesome fire. I, I had someone that I really value their opinion in this sport. Tell me this, like, hey, man, this guy is, is a favorite, but he's not a heavyweight. He's a light heavyweight. And, and I think we kind of saw that when we got, you know, towards the end of that season there. And just a guy that, like, like you said, I mean, just has not lived up to it. But if you're looking for a leverage play in terms of ownership, this is the fight to target. I agree. And, and like, Zach Palga was talking uh, to some media members that I was listening to and saying that, you know, he's been itching to get back in there and him sitting on the sidelines is, has been bothering him and, He's going to be, he's going to look the best he's ever looked and he feels better than ever. So like typical things you hear everybody say, but he does train with some real, real top tier competition, cross training with Devin Clark for this camp. In addition to that, he's, you know, work with Curtis Blades a lot. So like Palga's a guy that has done a lot of the correct things outside the cage. It's just inside the cage. I just haven't seen it. Boy, you talk about a forgotten guy in the UFC heavyweight division, Curtis Blades. I love, I know it's crazy. I mean, he, he was supposed to, you know, he was supposed to have a fight against Shelton Almeida back in November, had to pull out due to an injury. But yeah, he's kind of as, you know, we, we're seeing this heavyweight division and whatever is going to happen at the top of this division. It seems like Curtis Blades just is a guy that people have a little bit forgotten about there because, I mean, also Curtis doesn't exactly have the most uh, exciting fighting style, you know. Uh, yeah. Next up, we've got uh, Fernie Garcia taking on Hyder Emil. Emil is a minus 190 betting favorite, plus 160 for Garcia. Garcia is 7500 on DK, $12 on FanDuel. And for Hyder, he's 8700 on DK and 19 on FanDuel, Pete. I think I'd be interested more in Fernie Garcia if this wasn't on short notice. Granted, it's up a weight class, um, but it's the camp that he's coming from, right? Like, you know, working with Saif Saud is, is awesome, but accepting something up a weight class on – super short notice is concerning. It's like desperation and kind of searching for an answer. And he hasn't found an answer inside the UFC lost three fights via decision journey, Newsom, Brady, high stand and Rinya Nakamura. I mean, two of those fighters, high stand and Nakamura are dogs. Like that's mm -hmm. difficult matchups. And he had, you know, spots and moments in there where he looked good attempts, good submissions, um, attempts guillotines, Uses a guillotine to reverse position a lot. Um, stuffs some takedowns. Can land a powerful strike when he throws. Somewhat of gun shy. I'll say that Hyder Emil is a guy I'm not necessarily high on. But I am impressed with the way he pushes a pace. And the way that he throws with reckless abandon. And just kind of puts his, his foot on the gas pedal to go, go, go. Uh, and it breaks a lot of people. I mean, he stuffed, I don't know how many takedowns. 10 plus takedowns on a contender series. And. Forward pressure breaks a lot of people when you put them on their back foot. I don't know, man. I got, I'm expecting Hyder Emil to still win this fight. 
I don't think that he's going to finish Fernie Garcia. Finishing Fernie Garcia, I think, would be, you know, a feather in his cap. I just don't see it. If Rinya Nakamura didn't finish Fernie, I don't see how Hyder Emil is going to, personally. Um, I kind of wanted to blindly get behind Fernie Garcia just from a maybe like back in the day he used to offensively wrestle and then he'd use that wrestling to take the back of a lot of people and he would work his way towards rear naked chokes and watching Hyder Emile's regional tape he gets his back taken in several several fights and almost choked out in a couple and we're talking about a guy in Fernie Garcia training at Fortis MMA with top tier competition do I know if he's in shape right now no I don't um I also haven't seen the weigh-ins uh, I also don't know what his cardio is like. That's why I'm saying like in a full camp, this would be different. But I'm I'm still going to pick the guy, Hyder Emil, who I'm just not the highest on because of his um, defensive deficiencies. But I think that he should do enough to, to win a decision here over Fernie Garcia. Next up, we got our opening matchup of the night. Stadium Marcos taking on Richie Lang. Richie Lang is plus 220 betting underdog. Marcos minus 270. Marcos, 9,300 DK, $21 on FanDuel. Richie Lang, 6,900 DK, $10 on FanDuel. Marcos didn't uh, need two attempts to make weight. He has made weight at 136 pounds. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the line has kind of gotten overblown here, but I do like Daniel Marcos to, to edge out Richie Lang or pick up a late stoppage. Um, not in love with the, the killer instinct of Daniel Marcos, if I'm being honest. I mean, David Grant fight, that's a tough fight. Most people thought he lost. I did as well. Um, you know, but it's tough. It, it, the fact that he went 15 minutes with David Grant makes me, you know, gives me confidence that he can go 15 minutes against Arichi Long and um, he can defend some takedowns as he did against Simon Oliveira and, uh, you know, make you pay. I, I think that Arichi Long's chin, you know, got hurt big time against Eamon Zahabi. But that was a nice shot over the top that he just didn't see coming. I, and, like, Marcos can do the same thing, but he's more methodical and, and like, sniper-like on the outside and uh, takes his time, chops at the legs. Not really a, a crazy finisher or power puncher. So, like, Daniel Marcos, do I like him? Yeah, 9,300. I like two fighters more than him, personally. I like Carlos Pratas a lot more, and I like Bellagioki. Daniel Marcos is probably, like, third on my list within the – uh, probably, maybe even fourth on my list because I, I might like Joe Piper more than uh, Daniel Marcos. But um, if these guys somehow throw a ton of strikes, like we're talking like 300 strikes, sometimes volume wins and route to a, a, a crazy score. But Marcos should win this one pretty handily as long as he can keep it upright and not get taken down. Let's get into our straight up five picks before we wrap this show up with some listener questions. Uh, main event, I will go Joe Piper. Joe Piper. Give me Danny Gay. Danny Gay. Uh, I'll go uh, Brychek. I'm going to go Pateria, even though he looked uh, supposedly bad. Uh, Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Johnson. Johnson. Uh, I'll go Rodolfo. Petrosian. Uh, Prates. Prates. Oki. Oki. Luke Boomy. Luke Boomy. Clark. Clark. Give me underdog number one, Max Griffin. Okay. I'm going Jeremiah Wells. Don't feel great about this. Give me Zach Polgo. All right, Guskov. I'll go Hyder Emil. Hyder. And then I will go Daniel Marcos. Daniel Marcos for me as well, man. Uh, let me get uh, some questions that we got in here from our Discord channel before we start to wrap things up here. Uh, first off, we got favorite core plays. 
Um, I mean, I like I'm big on Michael Johnson this week, but if you disagree with me, I just think the fight in general. Um, I like the lean towards Petrosian. Um, but same thing. I just think that fight as well. Those are the two starting points that I would get to. And then I'd pick a, a high-priced option that you really like. Um, personally, despite it being his UFC debut, I, I'm going to get behind Carlos Prates quite a bit. Uh, favorite inside the distance fights. Uh, for me, um, I would say Brychek Pretoria, Johnson Flowers, Paga Guskov would be the ones I'd really be looking at. Yeah, I'm I'm with you with the Pateria Brychek fight, the Flowers Johnson fight. Protes Giles is a big one. And then like Vieira Petrosian. I, I think that a finish does come. One way or another, there is volatility. Uh live dogs here. Um I, I would put Jack Hermanson in that. If he can stretch this out into the third, fourth, or fifth round, I think he is live very much in that. Uh Petrosian, I mean, you are getting plus money there um, at, at plus 100. To me, he would be one. Um, and, and I would say Jeremiah Wells would be my other one. Or, excuse me, right. uh, Max Griffin. Yeah. Yeah, I don't blame you. Um, I, I'm going Guskov. I'm going Petrosian and Poteria, despite the volatility. But the Hermanson one is one where I, I wouldn't fault you. Punt plays that could break the slate. Yeah, it's probably Bruno Brazil. I think nobody's going to get behind her. Uh, and I'm telling you, from fighting nerds, they're so smart that they practice game plans like every team does, but they are, like, diligent about it. Uh, favorite fighters with the best decision odds. Um, I'll just say this. In terms of, I, I think the co-main event like goes to decision. Tavares Rodriguez goes to decision. Um, Griffin Wells. Boomy in Brazil, I think, are, are would be my highest fights to go to the decision. I agree. Uh, favorite captains for captain mode. Um, I've not looked at salaries. Um, if Devin Clark's a part of that captain contest, I think that's somebody to potentially look at just in terms of that takedown value and potentially be speeding all the rack up a ton there. Um, Michael Johnson could be a very interesting captain play. Yeah, I mean, I like him. I just, man, it would suck to get single-digit Michael Johnson production as as it's happened plenty of times. Eight and a half is uh, his number for finishes. We got 14 fights. I'm going to go less. <clears throat> um, I'm going less, man. Eight and a half is a big number. Yeah, I got to go less, too. Uh, value plays underneath 8K on DraftKings and a core three on DraftKings. In terms of value plays for me, um, I think I, I got to look at Michael Johnson at 8,300. I, I like that as a value play. Um, Vieira or Petrosian, either one of them, depending on how you see that fight going. I mean, and I think you, you just brought up a great point. Like, that is a great way to start your line of construction instead of. I think for the most part, usually we start our construction with our most confident, usually a 9,000 type play. But I think this is one of those weeks where I think you look at those two fights and, and that's where, to me, I think the, the roster construction starts. Yeah, and then it's also a great way to get different is by avoiding that fight in hopes that it's only 80 points. Yeah. But I don't see I don't see that happening. Yeah. I mean, a core three for me on, on DraftKings, I would say... Johnson... 
Protus and Protrosion Pro- for me. Yeah, Protus was going to be my second one. My third one, probably Piper. Okay, but but I want to get I want to get away from that ownership. That ownership, you know, yeah. like if it's a cash game, I I don't want to get away from Piper. But like in GPPs, that's where I would kind of want to eliminate uh, my ownership there as well. Uh, best leverage play. Uh, to me, it's two fights. As as I'm looking at, at ownership right now, Johnson, Flowers, Paga, Guskov. I think those are the four fighters to look at. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's clearly Trevin Giles. I don't know how many people are going to be backing him this week. Uh, I, I'm not. But it, it, stranger shit has happened inside the UFC's octagon. Yeah. So, um. best takedown upside. I think you got to look at um, Evan Clark. Yeah. Evan Clark, definitely on that one. And then ranking the 9K options. So we've got Pfeiffer, Rodriguez, Pratis, Oki, Lukbumi, and Marcos. Um, Pratis won for me. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's, it's a tough one because, like, I probably put Marcos at the bottom. Yep. No, I put Luke Boomy at the bottom. I, I think they're they're your they're your last two in your list. Agreed. And yeah, then agreed. I think it's I might go Oki too. I would go Protus, Pfeiffer, Oki, Rodriguez, Luke Boomy, Marcos. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, get uh, some question here, uh, Matt. Is USADA done? Is there test? Yes, there's testing still happening. It's not done by USADA. It's a, it's a new program that uh, went into effect on January one. Um, Ryan says one value option, one MVP option for FanDuel. Um, in terms of FanDuel, the value options to me, good. I mean, Hermanson thirteen dollars, Andre Feely twelve dollars. I mean, I, I, you look at underdogs main event, co main event, and extreme value over there. Uh, other values, I, I think, when you look at over on FanDuel, um, maybe Bogon Gustav at fifteen dollars. Someone to pay attention there. In terms of I like MV- Bogon, man. MVP, maybe someone like a Devin Clark at twenty dollars. Maybe someone to get there. Uh, in terms of that one, but uh, I think I pretty much got all the questions. I, I'm just going to do a double check here, make sure I didn't miss any questions, but I think that was pretty much it. Uh, of course, we got that DraftKings contest. You can sign up for that. Uh, the a link to that is in the description below if you're watching us here on YouTube or if you want to check those show notes. If you're listening to us on the podcasting platforms, of course, we also got those deals at Stochasticast for all those tools that they have over there. Of course, uh, those are tools that I use uh, to help develop my line. So I, I use uh, wide-ranging things and uh, also uh, I'll be developing Developing my my various uh, groups for multi entries. Uh, usually, I'll do that on, on Saturday morning. Kind of put my my lineups together there. Of course, uh, if you ever got a question for myself or Pete or anybody in the community, go hop in that Discord. Totally free to join. Pete, anything else you want to mention before we get out of here? No, man. I I'm just uh, I'm excited to see if uh, I kind of was overthinking this card or if I'm kind of like right on right on. And I, I'm I'm pretty confident. So um, I'm excited. I am excited to watch this one tomorrow afternoon. Lock is at 4 p.m. Eastern time. That's going to do it for this edition of the Fight HQ Podcast. We'll be back next week to get you ready for UFC 298, which we might as well call, boy, the challenger in the main event. Confidence is not an issue. Yeah, I know.
<laughs> I don't think you got to worry about confidence when it comes to Ilya Taporia. That boy's got some confidence. And, and by the way, there is a great video that Volk has put out there today about people saying he's too old. So you got to check out that in terms of that one. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Fight HQ podcast. We will talk to you next week right here on Fight HQ.